0: Because she's a vampire. Because so she's a she's vampire? Dead. And so <laughs> her children are like witch vampires or something. Okay. Anyway,
1: that's. Anyway, that good luck editing, Miss Ben. What? Good luck editing, Miss Ben. What?
0: Yeah, sorry, Benjamin. All right.
1: Fuck it, we'll do it live!
0: Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch, bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names Oh if this naughty to ruse your list. Shake your shoulders, shake your hips, and let a lady confess I wanna be there.
1: <laughs> I didn't kid you, did I? Well now you know. Hi Hannah
0: Hi Diana. What's up? Um the skay. Oh you mean with me in life?
1: Sure, the sky works too.
0: Oh, okay. Well, then that's my answer. <laughs> I'm going with that. <laughs> the sky. <laughs> the sky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you? What? Uh, how are? How are you doing?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Why are you so awkward? You're listening to a podcast. Everybody, welcome. It's called Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Yeah, and it's
0: about ladies, ladies, and feminine inclined folks.
1: Ladies and ladies doing their thing. Ladies and ladies and ladies. Ladies and and ladies from all over. You know? From everywhere. Damn straight. Up, down, left, right.
0: But not in space, as we've already determined. Sometimes space, Janice Foss. You know, yes. Sometimes
1: astronauts, but not aliens. Not outer space. Okay. Cool. Yeah. We talk about ladies. Yeah. So hopefully that's what you're here for. Fingers crossed. If you're not here for that, well, enjoy anyway. Yeah, I mean, stick around. You might learn something. Today. Is Wednesday, November 7th, and it is, well, the day that this drops, and that means it's the day after Election Day, and we are, of course, taping this beforehand, so we don't know what's happening, but we know that everything's been super stressful, so I'm just going to play a happy thing (laughs) to brighten the mood or enhance the mood. We don't know.
0: Enhance the damn mood.
1: Let's do it. is a fucking cockatiel getting very excited to hear Earth Wind and fire and wants to p- whisper along whistle whistle, whistle. He's
0: whistling along <laughs> You guys, I the should shit also know. mention that
1: this cockatiel is looking in the mirror and bobbing its head. <laughs> His oh or her God. head, while it's singing this beautiful song, and of course, it's a good choice. This cocktail has good taste,
0: dude. This explains so much about like our mental state, and just
1: <laughs> it's like here you know. go. This is where we're at. This is what it makes. me. Girl, girl, girl. All right, all right. So should we dive right on in? Do it. Okay. Dive. Okay. So, uh, this idea. Was actually a suggestion from somebody who listens to the podcast. Ah, um, a shout out. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, and it, it it feels incredibly appropriate and timely. And I, because it is the day after election day. Um, and I want to talk to you today about Jeanette Rankin, who is the first woman elected to a federal office Ooh, in this country. All right. Hell yeah. It's- Fucking. She was elected to the House of Representatives before women even had the right to vote. Shit. Nationally, I should say. Shit. All right. Tell me. Because it was state by state at first, which I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Women's suffrage was like up to the states. Um, and Colorado, I learned in doing this, Colorado was the second state to give women the right to vote. Uh, fuck yeah, Colorado. Yeah. it was the first? That's like, I don't know. It was on this day. I was looking it up. Oh. And it, on this day, November 7th, uh, just to to go all the way there, it's, uh, women's suffrage. Women in the U.S. state of Colorado are granted the right to vote in 1893. All right. Yeah, which is way before women were given the right to vote. 1893. 1893. Holy fuck. Nationally. That's... Colorado has always been ahead of the curve. Uh, In our generation, it was legalization of marijuana, (laughs) but... (laughs)
0: Damn fucking straight. But it
1: was women's suffrage back in 1893.
0: I did not realize. Uh God, that really blows my mind, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. 1893.
1: Yeah. All right. All right. uh, Jeanette Rankin comes from Montana, and Montana was also one of the first state's... To have gotten it, I Montana.
0: Mm-hmm. Well it's done. it's really weird and
1: random, actually, because clearly it has nothing to do with what our current political yeah landscape looks like. Although Montana has a lot of really cool fucking like towns, like Bozeman is cool as hell. Oh, Montana is beautiful, stunning. Ta- by the way, stunning fucking state. All right, so Jeanette Rankin, yeah. Um, I am going to be real upfront and say that a lot of this there was it was one of those situations where, in doing my research, there was an article that was pretty much perfectly written in the way that I wanted to portray her. Cool. And so it's kind of mostly cribbed from that. I also added in. Um, like, some little quotes and stuff from Jezebel and from Wikipedia, but mostly this comes from Mental Floss, and it is an article about Jeanette Rankin by Jocelyn Sears, so I want to make sure Jocelyn gets her due. Fuck yeah. When I'm reading mostly her words. But, Fuck yeah. So, let's learn about Jeanette Rankin. My
0: god, I'm so excited. I know.
1: I didn't, I had no fucking idea. Anyway. I'm really it's one c- of those
0: names that I feel like everyone listening probably knows, and don't they don't know why they know it. Mm-hmm. Including me. Mm-hmm. So...
1: I don't even think I knew her name, which is fucking ridiculous.
0: But uh, yeah, I mean again, it's like just like a mm-hmm. a thing you hear but don't mm-hmm. know anything about.
1: So, here's a little introduction before we delve in. In 1916, 4 years before the ratification of the 19th Amendment, I will say November 7th,
0: 1916. Mm.
1: Mhm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So in 1916, four years before the ratification of the 19th Amendment, um, which gave women the nationwide right to vote, Montana suffragist Jeanette Rankin, who was born on this day in 1880, of course, that's, it was June 11th um, hmm. that the article was written um, okay, or published, okay. became the first woman elected to the United States Congress. In her later years, she also led important crusades for peace and women's rights. She was a Progressive Era member of the Republican Party, She was also instrumental in initiating the legislation that eventually became the 19th Amendment, granting unrestricted voting rights to women, duh. Uh, In her victory speech when she was elected, she recognized the power she held by being the only woman able to vote in Congress. God damn. Saying, quote, I am deeply conscious of the responsibility resting upon me. She championed the causes of gender equality and civil rights throughout a career that spanned more than six decades. What? Hell yeah. Holy shit. So here we go. She was born June 11th, 1880, on a ranch outside Missoula in what was then the Montana Territory.
0: Oh, yeah. Wait, wait, what year was this, you said? Uh, 1880. Uh, Yeah,
1: okay, okay. 13 years before Colorado women got the right to vote. Yeah. Wow. Um, She was the eldest of seven children. She attended local public schools and studied biology at the University of Montana, which I don't know what that was like back in those days. Biology, Yeah. (laughs) 1880s biology? Hmm. Well, I think it must have been like turn of century. 1900s. Yeah, Yeah. early 1900s. Yeah, she graduated college in 1902. Okay. Um, She tried a variety of jobs, including school teacher and seamstress, but she began to sense that um, her calling was elsewhere when she went to Massachusetts to care for her younger brother, Wellington, who was studying at Harvard and had fallen ill. He recovered Mm -hmm. quickly, which allowed her to travel around Boston and New York where she saw extreme suffering of those living in the slums, packed into unsafe, unsanitary tenements, while the wealthy lived the high life just a few blocks away. Oh,
0: God. I can only imagine being from Montana and then going to Boston, of all places, at that time, mm-hmm. and seeing all of that. I mean, mm-hmm. that must have been an insane... Just the,
1: the discrepancy in the way that yeah. people live. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: Um... So that really influenced her. God, yeah. Yeah. Uh, A few years later, she went to San Francisco to visit her uncle and witnessed the devastation that the 1906 earthquake had wrought in the city. Oh. She was moved to do something and went to work in a settlement house, which is a neighborhood center in a poor area where middle class progressives offered uh, offered social programs. Mm -hmm. Um, She had seen poverty and misery in New York and Boston, but in San Francisco, she saw people dedicated to doing something about it. Okay. Uh, Now she knew what she wanted to do. She wanted to become a social worker.
0: Interesting. So seeing other people doing good works
1: in times of crisis inspired her. It it totally makes sense where you are confronted with images of stuff that you had previously never been aware of. yeah, And it makes you very sad and upset and you're like, well, I don't know what I can do and then you go yeah. somewhere where there's an organization or a community of people trying to help and you go, "Oh, <laughs> I can that's what I can do." Yeah, there are options available. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so in 1908, she moved to New York to attend the New York School of Philanthropy, which is now the Columbia School of Social Work.
0: I didn't realize there was a school of philanthropy. Well, there was At back any then point. in that's 1908. Insane. That's crazy. <laughs> that's kind of cool though, right? It is. I mean, I wonder what they
1: taught, like what specifically. I'm sure it's just philanthropy is was the the sort of hoity-toity name for social work. Like they didn't really call it social work then. Yeah. Cuz obviously she didn't come from money. She came from a ranch and right? yep. Not like ad- exorbitant money anyway. Yeah. Doesn't seem like. Yeah. So, do, do do do, she received her social work degree and moved to Washington state where she worked at a children's home in Spokane and another in Seattle. Spokane! Yeah. Um, But continuously watching children suffer wore her down, Mm, which makes sense. Yeah, As did the sense that her work with individuals made little difference compared to the decisions made by the men in downtown offices who ran the agencies.
0: Mm, gosh, that doesn't seem familiar at all. Right. Wow.
1: So she realized that perhaps social work didn't offer her the best path to forcing substantive change, so she turned her eye to policy. Good for her, which is very, you know.
0: Well, if no one, if no other women <sighs> at the time were really doing that, and and where she had mostly, f- I mean, for the most part until then, gotten her inspiration was seeing other people doing certain things. Yeah, like if you've never seen someone in politics it, who looks like you. Then the fact that it even occurred to her to do that and to like turn to that is really amazing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because there was
1: nobody else. She's like, well, I have a voice that uh, matters and I would like to offer that perspective. I would like to be a part of this group that, you know, enforces change, like enacts real change. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because as long as because I can do whatever I can within the system. Why don't I go somewhere where I can change the system? Yeah. Which is cool. Uh, she returned to school at the University of Washington. Well, uh, did, did oh, education. It just makes people... Well, well uh, you know,
0: yeah. It makes them free thinkers, and they yeah. stop being, like, afraid of the other, yeah. and... Weird, right? You know, it's really terrible for you, yeah. honestly,
1: getting an education.
0: Right? It's the worst thing you could do. She
1: read one day in 1910 that she could acquire free posters advocating women's suffrage from the school's College Equal Suffrage League. So this is 1910. Damn. And now, like, think about Colorado's women have been able to vote for 17 years already. God. Colorado! Makes me real proud.
0: Colorado! So
1: she went and she got a bunch of posters for women's suffrage. She plastered them all over town. And her enthusiasm and work ethic caught the eye of a political science professor named Adela M. Parker, who suggested Rankin become part of the campaign for women's suffrage in Washington State, where uh, which would be on the state's ballot that November. All right. Yep. Okay. Women won the vote in Washington that year, and Rankin, invigorated, returned to Montana, where she joined the Montana Equal Franchise Society and gave speeches about accessing the vote. Okay. On February 2nd, 1911, she spoke before the all-male Montana Legislature, becoming the first woman to do so. <laughs> God. She urged them to grant women the right to vote. She evoked the idea of taxation without representation and suggested that women belong in public service as well as in the home, arguing, quote, It is beautiful and right that a mother should nurse her child through typhoid fever, but it's also beautiful and right that she should have a voice in regulating the milk supply from which typhoid resulted. Ooh, girl. Yeah. Damn. So at that point, she began traveling as a professional suffrage activist, giving speeches and organizing campaigns in New York, California, and Ohio, before returning to fight for the vote in Montana, where women's suffrage passed a legislature in 1913. Okay. And a popular referendum the following year. She then took a position as field secretary for the National American Women's Suffrage Association, advocating for the vote in several other states from 1913 to 1914. Oh, good for her. So she was like, She's all right. literally going to every yeah. state and fighting for women's right to vote. She got it in Montana and then
0: was like- She got it in Washington, too. In Washington. Yeah. And was like, all right, my work here is done and I'm going to move on and go,
1: yep, do this for other people. That's cool. So then in 1916, she decided to run for Congress. Mm-hmm. Which is just insane to think, like, no other woman has made it into Congress before. And she's like, you know what? I've been doing pretty great at this uh, whole getting women the right to vote thing. And now that women in Montana have the right to vote, they're probably going to vote for a woman.
0: God, yeah. You know,
1: you'd think if she ran for Congress in a state where women didn't have the right to vote, I'm sure she wouldn't have won.
0: No. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Well, God, you think about it, like, the Civil War ended... What only forty or fifty years before fifty years before Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that—that's not a lot of time. And I Mm -hmm. obviously like—it's a different issue, but it's not a different
1: issue in some ways, like yeah, intersectionality, which is something that the suffragist movement was not very ignorant of. Yes, um, (laughs) on the whole, on the whole, I actually couldn't—I didn't find like. Anything in particular about Jeanette Rankin and what she had to say about, you know, civil rights for people of different ethnicities? But yeah, um, she was certainly very um, much for civil rights in general. So yeah, I could be wrong, but anyway. But you know, but you never what know. she fought for was still pretty cool. What she yeah. did, yeah, um, regardless,
0: yeah. I, I, only, I, the re the only reason I bring that up is literally just because of like the timing of everything. Yeah. Just
1: how interesting well, it's it is. Well, all a that snowball like... that kind of started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Exactly. You know? Um, her, did you do? Oh, she came from a family familiar with public service. Her father had been involved in local politics before his death and her brother, Wellington was a rising star in the state Republican party. Mm. Um, the one who went to Harvard. He would oh. be elected Montana's attorney general in 1920.
0: Yeah. okay yeah so, so their family. family yeah okay. very
1: very active family uh wellington urged his sister to run
0: Aww. and served
1: as her campaign manager
0: men see you can do you can do great things you don't even know <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh his political connections plus her experience in grassroots organizing provided for a winning combination fuck yes In 1916, Montana had two at-large congressional districts, meaning the entire state voted for both representatives, rather than dividing districts based on geography. One of Montana's Democratic congressmen was retiring, and Rankin launched a statewide campaign for his seat. She took campaigning seriously, later recalling that she, quote, traveled 6,000 miles by train and over 1,500 miles by automobile, end quote, during her bid. Whoa. This was marked in con- This was in marked contrast to the quote seven mediocre men end quote <laughs> that she faced in the Republican primary, who she said quote had too much dignity to stand on the street corner and talk.
0: Ah, oh, don't they always?
1: Politico quotes a contemporary of hers who said she was one hell of a campaigner. <laughs> Uh, she was one of the ablest campaigners I ever saw. A male state legislator later observed if she heard of a vote a hundred miles up in the mountains or in some isolated Canyon up there, she would go up there and see them drive up there. And it didn't make any difference about the roads. She would go anywhere, anywhere, a house of prostitution. It didn't make any difference to her. What it was. She would make herself at home. She was a tough person. Fuck yes. Yeah. Right. Was that like that? Just fucking few weeks ago, the Bernie Sabbit quote: "Like I'm not a nice girl. I go anywhere. I'm a photographer." But it's like not nice girls or nice girls. Yeah, go places. But Any
0: just, of them,
1: right? All girls. all, Hashtag of them. all girls. <laughs> Um, <laughs> of course, Rankin's message in 1916 was a product of its time. Politico notes that like many suffragists of her generation, she tended to frame her appeal in terms of how women were different and mm-hmm. might therefore vote and govern different, differently than men. I mean, I think back then they kind of just chalked it all up to men and women are just different as opposed to like men and women are raised to be different. Exactly. Yeah. Um, which so like now I would still acknowledge that women tend to have a different governing style than than men. On the whole, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't think that that's for any reason other than the fact that women are taught to be more. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say like we are. have
0: we have no way of knowing like how much of that is society is, and, and how much, much of that is biology. Is, yeah, we
1: don't know, and it's it's hard to say. Yeah. but anyway, I digress. But I agree. I did it. Um... Women might vote and govern differently from men. Quote, babies are dying from cold and hunger. End quote. She would proclaim in one of her congressional speeches. I'm so sick of saying quote every time, but you'll you'll get it. (laughs) Soldiers have died for a lack of a woolen shirt. Might it not be that the men who've spent their lives thinking in terms of commercial profit find it hard to adjust themselves to thinking in terms of human needs? Might it not be that a great force that has always been thinking in terms of human needs and that will always think in terms of human needs has not been mobilized? Is mm-hmm. it not possible that the women of the country have something of value to give to the nation at this time? End uh, quote. She's uh, so awesome. Like that resi- Like I have goosebumps just from reading that. God damn it. Well, because but it's, it's the so- same shit. It's about putting money first. It's Trump. Yes, it's It's so relevant. It's about putting capitalist ideas first as opposed to people first. We are humans. Let's put people first for fuck's sake. Yes. I don't think that's a specifically feminine notion.
0: Not Mm. inherently.
1: No. But I think it's fascinating to see just how relevant it is now. Yeah. Anyway. She beat those mediocre men handily in the August 1916 primary, surpassing the second place finisher by 7,000 votes. Ha! But the Montana GOP still had very little enthusiasm for her candidacy, expending scant effort or money on her behalf. Nevertheless, she put together quite a progressive platform. She advocated for women's suffrage, an eight-hour workday for women, transparency from Congress, and policies to protect children. She ran a nonpartisan grassroots campaign that worked to mobilize all of Montana's women and which included voter registration teas across the state at which women were registered to vote by a notary public. So it'd ah. be like a fucking, you know, get ladies together for a party where you'd have a notary public who was there who could register you to vote. Oh my God. That's a great idea. I was going to say, let's do that. Right? That sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. She came second in Montana's at-large congressional race, meaning she secured one of the two available seats. One of two. On her first try, I will say. Wow. Which is awesome. Go Jeanette. Yeah. But in those days, ballots were counted by hand, and that took a long time. Montana newspapers, likely not taking her candidacy entirely seriously, initially reported that she lost. Whoa. Because they thought there was no way she could have won. It wasn't until three days later that the papers had to change their tune because she was headed to Congress. It's like she got word from Washington, not from her own fucking newspapers, her own state. It was like they were like, oh, no, yeah, it's you.
0: Oh, my God. (laughs) Which is crazy, right? So ballot counting in
1: this country has always been fucked. Fucked? Cool. No, it's not even that the – no, the ballot counting was fine. It's that newspapers just assumed – Yes. And yes. jumped on top of the ball. Yeah. They were like, oh, well, she lost. Too bad. Fair. Because they could not foresee a world that she would win. So they thought that they they weren't even... Man. They didn't even think they were taking a risk in printing that she lost. Suddenly, of course, journalists across the country were clamoring to interview and photograph the nation's first congresswoman. Photographers camped outside her house until Jeanette had to issue a statement saying she was no longer allowing photos and would not leave her house while there is a single cameraman on the premises. All right, Jeanette. Before the election, her team had sent the New York Times biographical material about their candidate, only to have the Times return it and run a mocking editorial urging Montanans to vote for Rankin because, quote, if she is elected to Congress, she will improve that body aesthetically, for she is said to be tall with a wealth of red hair, end quote. A month later, they're saying that she will make Congress look hotter because she's hot. I was
0: going to say, is that, I mean, Mm -hmm. okay. A month
1: later, the paper was profiling her more seriously and reporting on her suffrage work and noting that she had light brown hair, not red. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Of course, due to her gender, a profile on oh. Rankin could not be limited to political topics. No. The Times also reported that her famous lemon pie was delicious and informed readers that she dances well and makes her own hats and sews. Whoa. All oh. other newspapers seem to take a similar tone.
0: So they've been doing this since, Jeanette, since 19...
1: 19- since Ever since any woman has tried to have a serious political career <sighs> career in ge- serious career full stop <laughs> period period her first week in congress began auspiciously but soon became contentious Uh-oh. this i thought was pretty cool um i was like wow wow okay <laughs> On April 2nd, 1917, the day of her swearing in, the National American Women's Suffrage Association and the Congressional Union for Women's Suffrage honored Rankin with a breakfast, and she gave a brief speech from the balcony of the headquarters of those places. I'm not going to read the names again because they're long. Then the suffragists escorted her to the Capitol in a parade of flagged bedecked cars. Oh. When she arrived at her office, it was filled with flowers sent from well-wishers, and she chose a yellow and purple bouquet to carry onto the House floor. Once at the House chamber, congressmen treated her to a round of applause, and she was sworn in to cheers. Whoa! The watching wife of a Texas congressman recorded in her journal that when her name was called, the house cheered and rose, so she had to rise and bow twice. Damn! I was like, okay then. It yeah. seems like the the general consensus of the country is like this isn't such a bad thing yeah, of that the congressman is, anyway. That's very different than what I expected. And, Of course, it's completely non threatening to have one woman. Suddenly, one woman.
0: Right, they're all up saying, "Oh, well done, little little lady. You've done so well." The
1: point is that um, it's nice that they were happy for her, and yes. she wasn't. She didn't show up, and and to a room full of dudes being like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Ignoring
0: here? her and turning turning their back, Be like, and, nah, nah. Yeah, no, that's nice. I mean, that's yeah. a surprise for me.
1: Yeah, uh, but the day was soon to grow serious. That evening, President Wilson appeared before Congress and asked them to pass a declaration of war against Germany. So pretty serious first day on the job. The Germans had recently resumed unrestricted submarine warfare, and though Wilson had been re-elected on the slogan, he kept us out of war, the president now believed the time for military action had come. Two days later, the Senate passed a declaration of war with only six dissenting votes, and the House would convene to vote the following day. Rankin was uncertain about what to do she was a pacifist but was under pressure from her brother wellington who urged her to issue a quote man's vote i.e. in favor of war telling her that mm-hmm. anything else was career suicide some suffragists were also lobbying for uh, uh lobbying her for a yes vote other suffragists they believed a no would make women look too sensitive for politics right if that's her very first vote mm-hmm. her very first vote in office and the pressure on her is enormous to be like this is how women are going to behave yeah, in congress. Yeah, let's prove them
0: wrong, but let's
1: also like vote but, with but our her whole platform is about her being a pacifist. Yes. So she's like, well, I was Ugh. elected because of this part of my personality partly. Jesus. And my platform, but now that's a shitty first but now decision. Now if you vote no, you have you have a weak will of a woman. Yeah. Right. Right, you're proving all of us right. Exactly. In the early morning of April 6th, after hours of passionate speeches, the House voted. Rankin failed to answer during the first roll call, and when her name was called a second time, she rose and said, quote, I want to stand by my country, but I cannot vote for war.
0: Okay.
1: 49 congressmen joined her in dissenting, but the declaration of war passed the House anyway. Ah, oh, shit. Walking home, Wellington told Rankin that she would likely never be reelected, and her vote did earn her copious negative press coverage. Fuck you, bro. He it's he's not wrong. Ugh. But Rankin Whatever. did not regret her choice. Years later, she commented, "I felt the first time the woman had a chance to say no to war, she should say it." For I many I think that was a good a good call. I think so too, but I mean, Germans were being pretty fucked up.
0: I get it, but I I think that I think that voting within
1: like, what she believed what and your what she had run is. on, what
0: her platform was versus yeah. what, like, people well, especially said. especially when you
1: have a feeling it's going to pass anyway, but you still yeah. stick true to your to your morals and yeah. your responsibilities and what you feel you need to do. Yeah. You stay true to yourself. That's, yeah. That's admirable. Yes. Yeah. Um, for many, Rankin's rejection of war was a sign of her excess feminine emotion, and newspapers <laughs> reported that she had wept, trembled, and even swooned while delivering her vote.
0: Fuck you, Fox News. Jesus. It was the New York Times. Whatever, New York Times. <laughs> Fuck you.
1: She was, quote, overcome by her ordeal, declared the New York Times. The humor magazine judge took issue with not, uh, not with her vote, but with her apparent manner. Quote, it was because she hesitated that she was lost. If she had boldly, stridently voted no in the true masculine form, she would have been admired and applauded. Bleh. What does that mean?
0: It means they only give a shit about. Well, because
1: 49 other, men. other congressmen voted no, but because she had to wait till her name was called a second time. And they were like, "Oh, she hesitated." It's like, "Yeah, she was weighing her options. She was thinking it through." Fuck off.
0: Well, women, women, and marginalized people have always had to do things twice as well mm-hmm. as white men yep. in order to get half the amount of respect. Yeah, I so mean, just, just literally look me. at Obama
1: and Trump. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Whatever. I know. According to eyewitnesses, however, Rankin did not sob, faint, or otherwise display any, quote, feminine weakness. However, several of her fellow lawmakers did weep. Oh, Um, suffragist Maude Wood Park, who watched from the gallery, noted that, quote, she may have shed a few tears before or after she voted, but if so, they were not evident in the gallery. Whereas the Democratic floor leader, Claude Kitchen, the nth degree of the He-Man type, broke down and wept both audibly and visibly during his speech against the resolution. End quote. And oh, but she's the one getting reported on. Right. Here's the thing, is weeping is not a fucking issue. It's the fact that... Because if men do it, then it's fine. <laughs> if men do it, it's because there's a good reason to do it. Ugh. Women cry at everything. New York Congressman Fiorello LaGuardia, that's a familiar name, Ha-ha. later told reporters that though he didn't notice Rankin crying, his vision had been obscured by his own tears. Thank you. Quote, it was no more a sign of weakness for Miss Rankin to weep if she did than it was for Congressman Kitchen to weep. <laughs> Suffragist leader Carrie Chapman Cat told the New York Times. Hell yeah! Boom. Uh, so something else that she did that was pretty cool is that she fought to make women's citizenship independent of their husbands, which is a thing that I didn't even wait. know.
0: Wait! 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 Wait!
1: I'll explain. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I'm freaking out now. Passed on March 2nd, 1907, so this is nine years before she was elected, the Expatriation Act stripped any American woman who married a non-American citizen of her own American citizenship. Ah. So your citizenship uh, as a woman was dependent on the citizenship of your husband. Huh. 1907 following the legal tradition of couverture, couverture, couverture the expatriation act of 1907 asserted that upon marriage a wife's legal identity was collapsed into that of her husband this act understandably caused many problems for many American women but the supreme court upheld the law in 1915 ruling that marriage of an American woman with a foreigner is tantamount to voluntary expatriation
0: isn't that insane I can't. I can't.
1: Because of course, if a if a non-American woman married an American man, she became an American. I can't even. If it, it, it literally the other way around, both are American. But if an American-born U.S. citizen, like if I were to marry a Brit, I would be British. Oh my god! And British only, and I would no longer be American. Fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1917. Um... Jeanette Rankin introduced a bill to amend this act to protect married women's citizenship. Uh, Morris Shepard, a Democrat from Texas, introduced a companion bill in the Senate. Also, this was clearly a time of far more, um, like, bipartisan stuff. Because she was a Republican, mm-hmm. and this Democrat from Texas introduced—and Texas is way different than Montana, I mean, in many ways— uh, introduced the companion bill in the Senate, so she yeah. she came up with the bill in the House, and and he came up with one in the Senate. Okay, they're from opposite parties, but they wanted the same thing.
0: Well, I mean, Democrat and Republican in those days didn't didn't have the same like social element that it does now. That both right. parties have now right. that have sort of differentiated us in extreme ways. Mm-hmm. Like back then, they were very specific political economical things. Yep. They were not like, we should deny half the people who live in this country certain rights. Yep. Like that wasn't part, I mean it was, but okay, I'm getting off topic. But that was
1: not a, that was not uh, uh, an issue exclusive to a single party. Like being, being uh, a person who believed that women didn't deserve to vote, I don't think was exclusive to either party. It's just you either believe that or you didn't. But by this time, the United States had entered World War I. An anti-foreigner sentiment, especially anti-German sentiment, was at a fever pitch, which is interesting to think of because I know that my mom's family had, like, just come into America, like, 10 years before that lesson. oh Oh. Um, so, like, the anti-German sent- sentiment. Like, that was a lot of uh, prohibition, too. Yeah. A lot of it stemmed from the fact that a lot of breweries were run by Germans because Germans made beer. Wow. And they wanted to stick it to the Germans. During a series of hearings before the House Committee on Immigration and Naturalization, congressmen and other men presenting testimony showed little empathy for American women who would marry foreigners and Mm. expressed worry that allowing such women to retain their citizenship would allow them to aid or protect German spies. History repeats itself so much. Over and over and over and over Humans never learn. It's just they think that because it's a different group that we're fucking marginalizing. Like, it's not Germans anymore. But just because we think it's a different group.
0: Well, especially in America, because, like, at the very least, like, in Germany, in Germany, they teach... Their own history in excruciating you mean how we glorify detail. the Confederates. And we glorify our history in terms of, like, oh, Americans won everything. And, and really, the Trail of Tears was just like, you know, a, a long hike. And, you know, all of these like sure. stupid little things <laughs> that we do and talk about where the, the white patriarchal Americans who founded this country don't actually bear any blame to the things that happened. And continue to happen, and so we never learn from our history. We never learn from our mistakes because we don't talk about them. We don't talk about it.
1: Yeah. Anyway, rant over. Hashtag and rant. Nope. Slash and rant. Yeah. Um. So. Sorry. American women Feeling would, very would clearly. Ranty right now. I know. Me too. Would clearly uh, marry German spies and not even know it because they're just dumb women. They wouldn't know. We're dumb. Um. Rankin spoke assertively in the face of derision from her fellow lawmakers, of course, when Representative Harold Nutson, a Republican from Minnesota, remarked, quote, the purpose of this bill, as I understand it, is to allow the American woman to eat her, eat her cake and still have it. <laughs> Rankin coolly replied, quote, no, we submit an American man has the right to citizenship regardless of his marriage and that the American woman has that same right. Period. End quote. But despite Rankin's forceful defense of her bill and testimony from women about its necessity, it was tabled by the committee. Mm. Duh. It would take several more years for women's citizenship to be protected in the same way as men's. In 1922, after the war had ended and after the 19th Amendment was uh, ratified, uh, Representative John L. Cable from Ohio sponsored the Married Women's Independent Nationality Act the law allowed any American woman who married a foreigner to retain her citizenship, providing her new husband was eligible for American citizenship himself. Hmm. Whoa, this caveat meant that American women who married Asian men still lost their citizenship as Asians were not legally eligible for naturalization. Chinese immigrants, for example, gained (gasps) access to naturalized citizenship only in 1943. Whoa! 1943. Well, all race-based requirements for naturalization were eliminated in 1952. Oh. oh my god. In 1931, Congress introduced a series of bills removing the final restrictions on married women retaining their citizenship. That's insane. Which year? Say it again. 31. Oh, 31. Okay. Was when they removed restrictions, but that's that's awful to to the like if you married a German, it was fine. But if you married an Asian, not cool. Not okay. Oh my! Which of course, God. you know, like interracial marriage was a problem for for them back then. Like they were like, ha! But even if you were an Asian American woman, like you're born in the country and you married a Chinese man, you were suddenly not American anymore. Um. Oh my God. Rankin had seen things. Mm. During her time as a social worker, she had worked in tenement houses and slums and spent two months in the New York City night courts primarily serving sex workers. But the men she encountered often tiptoed around certain subjects and words. One euphemistic discussion with why male lawmakers, nope, one euphemistic discussion with male lawmakers about, quote, communicable disease, prompted Rankin to explain, if you mean syphilis, why don't you just say so? Ha <laughs> ha. they were 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 tiptoeing around saying that word because there was a woman in the room she's like just fucking say syphilis I don't
0: want to say the word you're going to faint on that couch over there right
1: Another time during a House hearing about women's suffrage, Dr. Lucien Howe testified that women should not be given the vote because the infant mortality rate is too high in the U.S., so women must devote all their attention to taking care of children and not waste any time on politics. He ranted about the number of children who become blind because their mothers pass gonorrhea onto them and because the mothers lack the intelligence to treat the baby's eyes with silver nitrate drops. Rankin took him to task. Quote, How do you expect women to know this disease when you don't feel it proper to call it by its correct name? Do they not in some states have legislation which prevents women knowing these diseases? And only recently, after women's work for political power, were women admitted into medical schools? You yourself, from your actions, believe it's not possible for women to know that the names of these diseases... Pause. Dr. Howe says, I did not like to use the word gonorrhea. She says, Do you think anything should shock a woman as much as blind children? Do you not think they ought to be hardened enough to stand the name of a disease when they must stand the fact that their children are going blind? Oh my. She's god. like. She's like, why the fuck? Excuse me, you're afraid to say the fucking word? And you think that's more horrifying than the disease itself, which they see every fucking day? Someone get this guy a face. Also, why gosh. do these women have gonorrhea? Probably because their husbands are out fucking around. Usually that's the reason. That was usually the reason back then. Oh my god. <sighs> I think I just channeled Jeanette Rankin for a second. I'm Are we, like all
0: sweaty. We've both been a little ranty tonight.
1: Ranty, ranty, ranty. So obviously mothers and babies were very important to her and she was able to do politics at the same time. Imagine that. Um, Thank God. When she was first elected, the magazine Town Development dubbed her the baby's advocate, an image that she certainly cultivated. To avoid alienating voters by put off by a female candidate, Rankin presented herself as a traditional feminine woman, a mother for the nation's children, saying during her campaign that, quote, there are hundreds of men to care for the nation's tariff and foreign policy and irrigation projects, but there isn't a single woman to look after the natis- nation's greatest asset, our children. It's boom, boom, so
0: true. Yep. And half of those children are men who are going to grow up to be... The people looking after tariffs and blah, blah, blah. Like, you want someone looking after your interests as a
1: child. A 1918 report from the Children's Bureau on Maternal and Infant Mortality Rates shone a harsh light on that reality. As of 1916, Mm. over 235,000 infants died per year in the United States, while 16,000 mothers died in childbirth. Many of those deaths were preventable, but American women, especially in rural areas and among impoverished families, often lacked adequate prenatal and obstetric care. Rankin worked with the Children's Bureau to develop pioneering legislation, H.R. 12634. That mm. would address these issues. The bill proposed cooperation between the states and federal government to provide education in maternal and infant hygiene, oh. funding for visiting nurses in rural areas, and hospital care for new mothers, and consultation centers for mothers. It would have become the nation's first federal welfare program. Whoa. About looking after the welfare of people. Gosh. Imagine! Wow. Unfortunately, oh. the bill never made it to the floor. Oh, God damn. However, after Rankin had left the House, Senator Morris Shepard and Representative Horace Towner, the name Horace needs to make a comeback, um, resubmitted a somewhat watered-down version of her legislation in 1920. I'm naming my first child Horace after you. Thank you. You're not having kids. (laughs) Don't tell anyone that. (laughs) Um, Thanks largely to the urging of women's groups, who now represented millions of new voters, President Harding endorsed it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Rankin lobbied for the offspring of her legislation while working for the National Consumers League. The offspring of her legislation because it was the watered down. I like that. Um, President Harding signed the Shepard-Towner Act into law on November 23rd, 1921. Unfortunately, thanks to opposition from the American Medical Association and other powerful interests, it wasn't renewed by Congress in 1927 and was defunded in 1929. Hashtag lobbyists, am I right? Yeah, maybe we should get rid of them. You'd think. That yeah. would be great. Yeah. After Rankin's election, the Montana legislature divided the state geographically into two congressional districts. Whoa. This made re-election essentially impossible for her, as she lived in the Democrat-heavy Western District, cut off from her base of farmers in the eastern part of the state. Oh. Fun. Early gerrymandering. Yep. Um in order Yeah, way early. In, in order to be able to campaign statewide, Rankin ran for Senate in mm. 1918 mm-hmm. instead of running for re-election to the House. She lost the Republican primary and entered the general election as a candidate for the National Party, but mm-hmm. fell far short of votes needed to win. She left Congress in 1919 after having served a single term. After leaving Congress, she worked for the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom for several years and then co-founded the Georgia Peace Society. She also spent five months in 1929 working for the Women's Peace Union, which was a radical pacifist organization that wanted to eliminate war by passing a constitutional amendment rendering it illegal. War? Which is a very <laughs> yes, which is a very lofty goal, I think. Whoa. <laughs> but they were too extreme even for Rankin, who moved on to the National Council for the Prevention of war. Okay, that's mm. a little more yeah doable. Then in 1940, she decided to take another stab at politics running to reclaim her Montana congressional seat. Thanks to endorsements from prominent Republicans like New York Mayor Fiorella LaGuardia, Mm. she won, rejoining Congress over 20 years after finishing her first term. Whoa! Oh, shit. Right? Okay. Uh, back but, in the fucking game. Back in the game. I mean, she was still working, but, like, she's back in the, you know. the, the the government game. Yes. As fate would have it, Rankin found herself once again in the position of voting on a declaration of war. God damn
0: it, men. God
1: the no. day after the attack on Pearl Harbor, oh. Congress gathered to officially declare war on Japan. Oh, wow. Once again, Rankin voted nay, but she, this time she was the only lawmaker in either <gasps> House of Congress to do so. Oh. Cuz Pearl Harbor was pretty oh. bad.
0: Yeah. Oh god. I mean, it was bad, but Jesus. Yeah. Uh, mm.
1: But I mean, she was still like sticking to her. The only one. The only Before one.
0: she had 49 people, she was with one of her. 50.
1: One of 50. Yeah. Wow. And now, now she was the, the only, only man. one. Man. I mean, and currently we live in a time of like diplomacy being undervalued, ironically, because it's seen as, as like a feminine pursuit. Or, yeah, because equal.
0: Weak. Yeah. Yeah. And feminine and, is equal. And, and, so, and
1: military equals masculine might. Which is funny because we have more women in the military than we ever have, and we have more... Like, men are in diplomatic positions all the time. Like, whatever. No, yeah, it makes no sense. It's just that you can't... It's like rah rah la boom ba when you fucking are able to go, look, we fucking bombed the shit out of him, instead of going, we were in a room for a really long time and we talked it out, and now nothing's going to happen because we talked it out. Yeah. It's less <laughs> dramatic. Yeah, <laughs> it's, oh less, it's less popcorn oh eating men are so dramatic she's the only lawmaker to vote no when she declared quote as a woman I can't go to war and I refuse to send anyone else a chorus of hisses and boos arose from the house gallery and her sort of mentality was I shouldn't send other people to fight I can't go fight so I shouldn't be the one in charge of sending other people to do so alright fair which makes sense yeah. and I think everybody was like she's the only one to say no and Ugh. everyone else is like, how are you not it was on board a, with this? Yeah,
0: such a fucking contentious time.
1: Yeah. Um, journalists mobbed her as she tried to leave the chambers. Mobbed. and she Yeah, she hid in the house cloakroom until Capitol policemen arrived to escort <gasps> her safely back to her office. Oh my God. There was no way for her to recover politically from this, and she declined to seek a second term.
0: Oh, but Jeanette. she continued in
1: peace activism into her old age, leading thousands of women called the Jeanette Rankin Brigade in a protest against the Vietnam War in nineteen sixty eight Then, in her nineties, Rankin was contemplating another run for the house <gasps> when she died in nineteen seventy three oh.
0: She wow. was contemplating
1: trying again.
0: she was like, "All right, here we are post Vietnam war, like." They pulled us out, what was it, 1968 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But shit is still not great.
1: She just kept wanting Maybe to say no to war, no to war, no to war. That was like her steadfast flag, line in the sand. God, um, Jeanette. Right? Ugh. 93. Jeanette. Uh random side note. Oh, like another weird sort of like there have been academic debates about this. So she never married. Okay. In her lifetime. Um, She maintained a lifelong close friendship with noted journalist and author Catherine Anthony. Mm -hmm. But they were allegedly never romantically involved because Catherine Anthony had a lady life partner of her own. Oh. Um, Elizabeth Irwin, founder of the Little Red Schoolhouse in New York City. So biographers tend to disagree on her sexual orientation. But the general consensus is just that she was too consumed by her work to pursue any stable, personal relationship anyway.
0: Well, and guess what? You don't have to have sex with a person in order to be, like, romantically involved with them or to love them or, you know, have a lifelong partnership with them of some kind.
1: Sure. But the point is just that she never married. She was married to her work. Wow. Spent her whole life saying no to war.
0: Oh, Jeanette. Right? Ugh.
1: God. Noted Republican, <sighs> Jeanette Rankin. Wow. Let's be more like Jeanette, everybody. Let's be more like Jeanette. <laughs> Not
0: necessarily even in the say no to war aspect, although, like, obviously. Pacifism's pretty cool. Pacifism is great. In general. But also just the, you know, equality of the sexes is pretty great, too, and that's something we still don't actually have, so. Nah. You know,
1: Yay, Jeanette! Yay, hey, Jeanette! Yay, Jeanette! Yay, Jeanette! Woohoo! Well done. So, on this, the great job, one hundred and second anniversary of her election to Woo. Congress. Wow! Wow! Damn! Well, and that
0: is also sort of a congrats on voting for those of you who maybe did, and um, mm-hmm. you know, ladies in politics and politics and hell yeah.
1: Feminists and politics. This
0: country, (laughs) Um, it's always contentious. But I feel like I don't know. We'll get we'll get there at some point, Hannah. Yeah,
1: I appreciate your optimism. Yeah, it's very necessary. (laughs) Um, I have some on this day in history. uh, Yeah. If we want to delve into that, there was quite a few, especially because it's election season. So there's a lot of really exciting shit that happened. Obviously, of course, again. Happy 102nd anniversary to the election of Jeanette Rankin to Congress, first female Congress person. Um, 1492, November 7th, the Ensesheim meteorite, the oldest meteorite with a known date of impact, strikes the earth around noon in a wheat field outside the village of Ensesheim, Alsace, France. 1492. Wow. All
0: right. I was gonna say, did Columbus see it? But I guess not, because no, because he was gone. <laughs> he was
1: um, he was off trying to rape a, a lot the of indigenous populations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking wow, of, right. of Columbus's bullshit um, when fucking with native peoples. Oh uh, fuck. 1811. So this is way after his time, but still, uh, Tecumseh's War. The Battle of Tippecanoe is fought near present-day Battleground, Indiana, United States. So this is the anniversary of the Battle of Tippecanoe. Okay. All right. November 7th, 1837. In Alton, Illinois, abolitionist printer Elijah P. Lovejoy is shot dead by a mob while attempting to protect his printing shop from being destroyed for a third time. What the fuck? Why? Because he's an abolitionist. Oh, my God. In 1837, which was pre-Civil War. Even though it's in the north. It's Illinois. Although Illinois is kind of on the cusp, depending where you are. Yeah. Yep.
0: Jesus. People fucking suck. Mm-hmm. November 7th,
1: 1874, a cartoon by Thomas Nast in Harper's Weekly is considered the first important use of an elephant as a symbol for the United States Republican Party. Oh. Wow.
0: 1874.
1: Okay. 1929 in New York City the Museum of Modern Art opens to the public. Damn. Yeah. November 7th, 1929. MoMA? MoMA. Still good still good stuff. All right, MoMA. Right. You to you. I November don't love 7th, you, but... 1967. Carl B Stokes is elected mayor of Cleveland, Ohio becoming the first African American mayor of a major American city. Wait, what year? 1967. Damn. Fuck yes. Right in the heart of that civil rights stuff. Shit. Civil rights stuff. What a <laughs> euphemistic way of putting that. We don't have to talk about We're doing about on it. this day in history, okay? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> November 7th, 1989, Douglas Wilder wins the governor's seat in Virginia, becoming the first elected African-American governor in the United States. 89. That's our lifetime. Jesus Christ. First black governor. Also in 1989, David Dinkins becomes the first African-American to be elected mayor of New York City. <gasps> really? So, 89? Eight, 89 was a big year. Wow. For, for black uh, politicians, I guess. 1990, November 7th, Mary Robinson becomes the first woman to be elected president of the Republic of Ireland.
0: 1990.
1: Which means Ireland is like way ahead of us on that front. November 7th, 2000, I wanted to end on this hilarious note. The U.S. Drug Enforcement Association, that DEA, discovers one of the country's largest LSD labs inside a converted military missile silo in Wamego, Kansas. What? One of the biggest, they're like, holy shit, Kansas, they're making a lot of acid. What the fuck? (laughs) In a converted
0: military...
1: Missile silo. Missile silo. Oh, my God. Who fucking knew? What the fuck? There's a lot happening. I feel like this is going to be a long episode because my notes were really long. But Jeanette! Whatever. Jeanette is amazing. Yeah. Jocelyn had a lot of really good shit to say about her. Dude. With many of our interjections, but... You know what? And Jezebel and Wikipedia.
0: Yeah. And I think today of all days, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's especially important to highlight the people who we have elected... Cheers to Jeanette Rankin, Cheers man. Cheers to Jeanette. Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. clink. Mm-hmm. Because we have been doing this for a hundred years. We have been electing women. We have been electing people of color. We have been electing, you know, uh, people from marginalized communities. We have been doing that. We have. And let's not backslide. Let's not fucking backslide, man. Like this. Keep fighting the good fight,
1: everybody. But, I yeah. mean, we're
0: looking to the future. We really hope. We really hope that we are. We are looking at people like Jeanette, and you know. I just
1: find it taking so, her as an example. It makes me so sad that it was the hundredth anniversary of the first <laughs> woman elected to Congress that we could have elected the first female president. That would have been so beautiful and poetic in whatever parallel universe that it did happen. I hope they're living their best life. Oh lives.
0: god. It was the year we did elect our first female president and our yes. electoral college did not <sighs>
1: make Fucking that happen. Fucking fucked it up.
0: So I'm excited about something no one will know about or hear about, but it's a book oh, no. called Vita Nostra. And I'm excited about it because it's basically a Russian version of The Magicians meets Harry Potter. So it's basically, like, it was just recently translated from its original Russian into English. And it's about a girl who goes to, like, a magic school in Siberia. And... What? Yeah. And that's that's what I'm excited about because I'm, I have not even read it and I'm dying to read it. And I've been thinking about it all weekend. And I just... I love the concept of magic schools and the idea of like, yeah, the idea of uh, that Harry Potter can be something that is sort of inspired, has inspired people across the globe and is relevant (laughs) continually. And these are all things things
1: I'm excited about. Awesome. Me too. The end. Well, thanks. This has been a good... (laughs) Good, hopefully, like post election escape slash party slash, yeah. We don't know because we're not psychic, but guess what? Hopefully, everybody's having a good day. Women are important. Women Women are are awesome. They're awesome. Our voices matter.
0: We'll be here telling you these stories for a while. Please rate, review, and subscribe if you still like us after this. And hello, (laughs) that was a
1: good episode, Hannah. I meant my ranting, but... Thank you so much for listening. Press that subscribe button because that makes us super happy. You can say hi on social media. Um, we're on Instagram and Twitter uh, at GWBB podcast. You can email GWBBpodcast at gmail.com. Our personal Instagrams, uh, Hannah Ferguson. Two E's in Ferguson. Three E's. Well, I mean, like, well, yeah. f e r g e Ferguson. Not Ferguson. Yeah. Ferguson. Yeah. Um, is that same for Twitter? Mm-hmm. All right. Hannah Ferguson. I am Deanna Elise on Twitter and Miss Deanna Elise on Instagram because I got fancy. Yeah. Um, otherwise, we'll see you next week. Hope you're having a good day and we love you all.
0: Peace out, Wishes. Bye. Bye. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you for listening. (laughs) You can find us on iTunes, Google Play,
1: Stitcher, Blueberry, and more. Basically anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Mm -hmm. If you like our podcast, it would be really helpful if you could please like and subscribe, rate and review, share with your friends on social media, word of mouth, Mm -hmm. all of that. That's great.
0: Yes, and you can find us on Twitter at GWBBpodcast. Instagram
1: is the same, and we are on Facebook under Good Witches, Bad Bitches Podcast. And hey, guess what? If you want to hear all of our episodes, they are all up at our website, GWBBpodcast.com. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to share with
0: us and that you want us to share on our podcast at some point, you can email us at GWBBpodcast at gmail.com.
1: Hey guys, you know what? If you like what you hear, maybe please consider a little bit of supporting us financially by visiting our tip jar. Um, the link is in the show notes. Every little bit helps. It just kind of makes it so that we can keep this going so that it has some longevity. So just think about it. See, see how you feel about it. Or you can support this podcast directly by buying us a coffee on our Ko-Fi.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that is ko-fi.com slash podcast. Um, coffee start at $3 because that's generally the price of a fancy coffee and it just helps us keep the ship going. Good Witches Bad Bitches is produced by Moon Bounce and powered by
1: Pinecast. Boom, boom, boom. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening.